Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is, Who is God? Now, here's Pastor Chris. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Wow, I got a good-sized house today. To all our visitors, thank you for coming. We welcome you. This is your church. Please don't be afraid of us. We welcome you, and you're welcome here anytime. Let's begin with prayer. God, we thank you for another day of life, Lord, another year. And as we begin a new series, Lord, on the fundamental beliefs, we pray that you will lead and guide us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, today is uh, obviously the first Sabbath of the year and the first day in a new series that uh, we're beginning today. Now, some of you are, are wondering what are the fundamental beliefs, and ultimately they are the firm foundation of the Adventist church. So uh, 28 beliefs are going to be preached in the next 12 weeks. Today we're doing five. So I usually give half an hour, so we're going to be here for the next two and a half hours. <laughs> Not really. Are you kidding me? My voice will go out in 45 minutes. So uh, today it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. I'm going to distill five into one sermon. We're going to focus today on um, the area of God. There are six areas. Number one, God. Number two, humanity. So next week we'll be talking about creation and the nature of man. And then the following uh, couple of weeks we'll be talking about salvation the church, how does it operate, what it, why is it important, and as well, how should we live? That's the fifth area. God has called us to not only serve, but also gives guidance and direction and how we should also be able to live our lives. And then finally, I know uh, some of you, I'm sure, are definitely going to be interested, and that is restoration. What is the end game to this life? What does God have in plan for us? So, I look forward to this journey, and um, I know I'm not going to be able to get everything uh, in, okay? That's just 28. It would take me at least, we could easily do this for half a year. So uh, please be patient. Now, I know if you want to go deeper, um, there's two things. You could actually order our, uh, the book that the church puts out, The Fundamental Beliefs. It's actually called Believe. It's a, a white and blue book. And if you want to get a copy of that, let me know. I can help you find it. And if anything, go to Adventist.org. And then under Beliefs, you can click under Fundamental Beliefs. It will give actually uh, a little description, an overview of what that fundamental belief is. Because ultimately, we want to make sure that we're all on the same page. What do we believe as a church? And I know some of you have been asking, Pastor, I, I don't even really know a lot in depth as far as what does the Adventist church believe in. So, this is a survey, an overview, okay, for the next 12 weeks, and I look forward, this is going to be a great opportunity. Now, today we're going to be focusing, of course, on the scriptures, because the scriptures are basically the bedrock to our foundation. Everything we believe is rooted in this book, okay? So, uh, we take faith, we, we, we search the scriptures, 
and it's important that it informs our faith. Now, the Bible. The Bible is a collection of writings inspired by God. Together they paint and reveal who God is. And in fact, actually, uh, overview of uh, what the church believes is the Holy Scriptures, Old and New Testaments, are the written Word of God given by divine inspiration. The Bible is made up of 66 books, broken in half, or majority, a good portion of, you have the Old Testament, but then you also have the New Testament, okay? The inspired authors who spoke and wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit in this word, God has committed to humanity the knowledge necessary for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are the supreme, authoritative, and infallible revelation of His will. They are the standard of character, the test of experience, the definitive revealer of doctrines, and the trustworthy record of God's acts in history. Now, growing up, maybe some of you experienced this, especially around Valentine's Day. Maybe you you had a little crush on, on somebody, and you would write a little note, and you would ask your friend... This is way back in the day when you could, you could ask your friend to maybe pass it to that special person. Nowadays, you just text message, I guess. But we had to go old school. We were analog. And pretty soon as I got older, I realized when I was a, a young adult and uh, I saw and met my wife, I fell in love with her. Uh, I still worked for her dad, and he has this rule that there is to be no fraternization during the summer. So you can imagine, seven weeks, I was literally, I could sit next to her, I could talk with her, I had to be a good example, because even though I was a boys director, I was an exec staff, I had to be a good example. So I wouldn't say I would ignore my wife, but I wanted to be able to communicate with her. So rather than talking to her, I would write little notes, and I would have a friend pass it to me, so I wouldn't be fraternizing And it's actually funny, I I went back and I was going through uh, my stuff and I I found a a box of a bunch of letters that she and I, mostly I, uh, I I received from her, but also as well I found letters that I had written to her. And they weren't big, long letters, they were just mostly post-it notes. Just say, hey, I love you, I miss you, and I can't wait till this summer's over. (laughs) And I look back with fondness because it was a very special time in our lives. We were young, we were in love. And when I, when I think of the Bible, I ultimately, and I'm, I'm also, my, my heart warms because in many respects, it is God's love letter to us. Okay? Now, I know that uh, some parts of the Bible, let's just be honest, uh, doesn't sound like it's very loving. And there's, there's a key to that. And I will, of course, be able to get everything done today, but we'll continue. We'll come back to this. But ultimately, the Bible ultimately is made up of, of a number of letters, sermons, songs, prayers, and even histories documenting the life of Israel. And all these combined, it also shares stories of good, wonderful, strong, faithful people, even sometimes when they made mistakes. Have mercy. Thank the Lord. I thank God that all of these stories are in here because it gives me hope. For the promise of God does not abandon us. We're not called to be perfect. God reaches to, out to us. And as well, 
It's a history of how God has worked in people's lives and moved the church forward. Now, in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Sorry, meant to read that. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Equipped. The Bible is there for us to be able to learn and grow, not only personally, but as well equip us for the future, but also equip us on how we can better serve the Lord. And especially when it says God breathed, when it says that ultimately it's being inspired, okay? The Bible, people didn't just get together and write. They were inspired by God and, and more importantly, the Holy Spirit. In Second Peter, it also says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit informed the writers of the Bible in what to say and what to write. So scripture, it's important. It's key to our faith. We also find in uh, Hebrews, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, i.e., Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the what? The universe. So everything that you can see is from God. Amen? So let's break this down a little bit, okay? So how did the writers write the Bible? So way back in the day, the Holy Spirit influenced and basically influenced the writers to write. Sometimes the writer would literally write word for word what God said. But yet, for the most part, though it was inspired by God, it was also written to a time for a time for the people at that time. So when we read scripture, it's important that when we read something, don't assume it was written necessarily in 2020 because when we take our identity, our culture, and we put it into the Bible, it becomes a little dangerous because it's maybe not what the author intended or what God intended, right? We have to be able to read the Bible in the context of what, when, and where it was written. So, understand too, you're going to read something that's maybe a little troubling. For instance, God says you, 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 should, uh, you should hate your family, disown them. Okay? Was God being literal? Was Jesus being literal? No. Okay, there was a purpose of, he was talking about the faithfulness. He wasn't being literal. And sometimes Jesus, I love Jesus because sometimes uh, he, was, he would speak with uh, kind of like a tongue-in-cheek manner, right? But they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Written, the, the Bible was written so, for the people so that they could understand. And it wasn't written for a Western culture. It was an Eastern culture. And yet when we also read the Bible, we also realize that 
sometimes the personality of the, the, of the writer you could see as well. Because, again, writers, sometimes they would write word for word what God said, but then we also find, like, look at the letters of Paul. Who wrote it? He was writing to Corinth. He was writing to Rome. He was writing to Ephesus. And sometimes when he was writing, he would be loving and kind. And sometimes he would be that kind of spiritual father and give them a little spanking because they were misbehaving. Right? And so he was writing inspired by God. We also look to as well uh, in, in, in the book of Luke at the very beginning Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? Well, Theos, God, Philos. It's actually um, not singular, plural. He was writing to the believers, those who believed in God. So, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handwritten, handed down to us by those from the first who were eyewitnesses and the servants of the Lord. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So we find that the Bible isn't just a bunch of sayings and writings just kind of assembled together. At the end of the day, when you read from Genesis 1 all the way to the Revelation, you will find that there is a purpose and a reason as it was constructed that it shows the character and the love and the supremacy of God. It's not just a hodgepodge, a bunch of, uh, of, of sermons and, and, and everything slapped together. There is a theme and a purpose. Now, we also, as we continue, uh, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible wasn't just written for people as well in the past because it is still relevant for today. It can help shape and mold us and ultimately lead us and show us how we can have a better life. And then finally, and we also thank God continually because you have received the word of God, which you have heard it from us. You accepted it. It is not as human word, but as actually it is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. The Bible is not meant to be something static. It's supposed to move us, shape us, mold us. It's a verb. It's action. So when we read, may it not be something like, okay, I got to read Leviticus and I got to read Psalms. I got to read this. I got to read that because I need to have a happy devotional life. <sighs> may it be that when you read Genesis, when you read Psalms, when you read... Uh, <laughs> uh, when, when you read the Bible, may it stir something. Ask God, Lord, stir something in me. I want to read, not because I have to, but, but that there is something that can be a blessing to help me change and convict me. So 
and as well, when I first, uh, back in July, I kind of gave a little overview how we should read our Bibles. So what's the point? How do I do this? And just kind of as a, a very brief overview, when you read scripture, pick a book. Don't just... Yep. First Samuel, one twenty. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel and saying, because I asked the Lord for him. That's great, but it just pointed to be in the middle of nowhere. When we read scripture, we want to be intentional. And especially if you've never read scripture, I'm going to say, go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And if you've never read the Bible, I'm going to say, go to John. We just studied John for a couple months, and it was awesome. Start in the Gospels. And when, you start, when you've gone through the Gospels, go through the rest of the New Testament. And, and even then, after that, go to the Old Testament. Talk about the Psalms, the Proverbs. Proverbs especially has a lot of wisdom for life in it. Talk about Ecclesiastes. If you want to know the history of Israel and the early church, I mean, before the church, go to Chronicles, Samuel. There is so much that we assume we think we know when we read that we know what it's going to say. But even, I've been reading the Bible for years, and I've been a pastor for 14 years. I want to tell you, the last year as I've really dug deep into Scripture... I thought I knew the stories. And when you really look at the very little details, you realize, my mind was blown at what, what they were saying, what they were doing. And, and um, praise God. God is a loving Savior. <laughs> when you look at some of the characters and the things they did, Lord have mercy. So choose a passage. And when you read about it, don't just read it. Think about it. Ponder on it. Maybe if you have a journal, write your notes and ask questions. Don't just read it because you need to memorize it. Why? Why did they say that? Who's in this story? What, what's happening? Where are they? When did it take place and why? And how, especially, does this passage fit into the bigger context of the whole book? Because we find that in certain books there are themes. In the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts, one theme that runs through is that of salvation for all. Okay? God's desire is that he wants to save everybody. But God's not going to force somebody if they want to reject God too. In, in the book of John, there's this theme of believe, okay? Or the word, or in the beginning, And then ask as well, how is God's character revealed in this story? What are the attributes? Is it, is it, is it grace of love and peace? Just what, what kind of lessons can I learn and take? And then ultimately as well, the next step, maybe the scary part, how do I apply this in our life? Ooh. Okay. How can this affect and positively change us? Many of us know the story of the, uh, of the wise and the foolish builders in, in Matthew 7, where there was a man, he built a house, and he built, the wise man built his house on what? Solid rock. And the foolish man, he built his house on what? And when the waves came, the house went crumbling down, right? And if, if we're going to take that example to Scripture, 
We can do a shallow, cursory reading. Okay, I've just got to get through my devotional. Okay, I've listened, I've read it. Great. Amen. We can have a shallow reading of the Bible and just get through it. Or we can stop and we can be intentional. And we can read and we can ask questions and we can write our thoughts down and ask God the scary question, God, how can I implement this into my life? At the end of the day, a shallow reading of the scripture will net a shallow understanding of scripture, i.e. God. But a deeper reading of scripture will have a more complete picture of who God is. You want to know God, you got to spend time with God. Okay? Just like when you met your spouse, guys, when you fell in love with your wife, you wanted to be with her all the time. You wanted to get to know her. Everything about her, right? Same thing with God, too. Oh, you two. How long have you two been married? 34. 34. Good to know. And I, I just, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to point you out, but I just, it warms my heart to see that you've been married 34 years. You're still laughing and giggling while the pastor's preaching. <laughs> That's all right. I'd rather you be laughing and giggling than hating each other. All right? 34 years. And in that time, you've gotten to know each other so well, much like our relationship with God. Okay? I've been studying the Bible for 20 plus years. And every day, my faith is even more deepened and I fall in love with God even more. And I'm not saying that the journey has been easy because there have been ups and downs even in my own walk with God. But... If you really, truly want to know, spend time with God, okay? All right, we've got to get cracking. Next part, so that's part A, part A, get to know God, <laughs> all right? The Bible is God's love letter to us. It reveals how we can also live, but also ultimately guides us through our lives and reveals a plan of salvation and redemption and reveals a loving God. And so this is part A. Part B today is where we need to have scripture to be able to inform of who God is. Who is God? So, actually, let's go back. We're going to talk, break down very briefly, the Trinity. There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a unity of three co-eternal persons. God is immortal, all-powerful, all-knowing, Above all, and ever-present, he is infinite and beyond human comprehension. Yet known through his self-revelation, God, who is love, is forever worthy of worship, adoration, and service by the whole creation. As I was uh, preparing for my sermon this week, I came across an illustration. Actually, uh, Dr. Henry Morris, I don't know who he is, but as I read this, he notes that the entire universe is Trinitarian in design. The universe consists of three things, matter, space, and time. You take away one of those three, and the universe would cease to exist. Matter, space, and time. Within matter, you have mass, you have energy, you have motion. With space, you have length, you have height, you have breadth. And then time, you have past, present, and what? Future. And so the whole universe itself as well is a witness 
to the character of God. All right? Now, I just read a bunch of scientific stuff in my mind. I'm still trying to comprehend that, but that's all right. I was never a, a scientist wanting in school. But Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as we know it. And yet, there's also several scriptures that point to the Trinity. So, for instance, in Ephesians, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient with one, one, one another, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Therefore, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope which you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay? We also find as well in the, the end of Matthew 28, where Jesus, just before he ascends into heaven, he gives his final instructions to the disciples. So then the eleven disciples went to the Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Can you imagine being with Jesus for so long? And even after he died and he'd risen, some of them still doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the what? And of the? And of the? And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the Trinity, as we break it down, are three aspects. The Father, the first one. We also find that in uh, John 3, 16 and 17, it talks about how the Father and the Son, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, right? That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We also, as well, when we, uh, in, in John, um, I, can't, I can't even remember, uh, it was John 14, it talks about the Father uh, in many aspects in the, in, in the Gospel of John. In, in John 1, it then talks about the Son. In John 1, verses 1 through 4, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. In fact, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we find that not only is there the Father, but there is also the Son, who was in, who was there from the very beginning. And, without the, and the Son actually helped create all that we see in this world. So the word ultimately, the logos, became flesh and came into this world. Praise the Lord. What kind of God does that? What other God does that? In uh, first, uh, I'm sorry, in Colossians as well, it talks about how the Son, uh, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And the Son is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. And then finally, the third aspect, and that is of the Holy Spirit. 
we find the Holy Spirit, especially in John chapter 14, where Jesus uh, is uh, having his final sermon, his discourse, final instructions with his disciples. They've done the foot washing, and I know we've kind of talked about this already, but he promises. He informs basically, he informs the disciples that basically he was going to be leaving them. And some of them are like, hey, hey, where are you going? And so he informs them. He talks about how God is making homes and rooms and mansions for us. But then he also leaves the, with the, he, he's stating that even though he is leaving, there is another where it says, uh, the advocate. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Some other translations to us uh, refer to it as a helper, but the spirit of truth. And though the world cannot see him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit is present. Though Jesus is not here, cannot be present, we have the Holy Spirit. So there is a helper, there's an advocate. You ever have that conscience stir in you? Maybe you want to do something, you think, kids, maybe you shouldn't do that. That's the Holy Spirit telling you you probably shouldn't do it. All right? And then we also find in Acts 2, Jesus promises in 14, John 14, that he will send the advocate. And finally, in Acts 2, the disciples were there with a bunch of people And all of a sudden, you have people from all kinds of different countries who spoke different languages. And Peter stood up, and he began to preach. And guess what? Everybody could understand. Can you imagine? So look, I can speak English. I can understand a little Spanish. I can read Greek. But I don't know any other language. But imagine if we had people from, uh, I'm just starting making countries up, from France, from Tunisia, from Zimbabwe, from Russia, and I started speaking. All of a sudden, everybody could understand. That would be the Holy Spirit working, out, working, okay? And it's only through the Holy Spirit. So somebody may ask, then, okay, well, if there's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, does that mean that we are polytheistic? Meaning we believe in multiple gods? No, still one God. In fact, um, the best way I can describe the Trinity is this. I wish I had an actual representation, but I don't. Y'all know what an egg is, right? Y'all love eggs? Not always. Praise you, bless you. I'm in agreement with you. Sometimes I have my moments where I will eat eggs and I decide I don't want any more. But when you take an egg, there are three parts to it. There's the shell, and then what else? The egg white, and then the? The yolk. Now, if you want a full and complete egg, but you take away the shell, is it a complete egg? If you take the yolk away, but you still have the shell and the egg white, is it complete? If you take just egg white, is it complete? No. All three need to be together to be considered complete. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working together. When I thought of this, it blew my mind away. Wow. 
wow, bigger, God's even bigger than I thought. We serve a great and mighty God. So may you, I want to urge you this year, may it be a year of searching the scriptures. And may you discover a graceful, loving God who desires to be there for you, to lead and to guide, to shape and to mold you. And to do so, it means it might get a little uncomfortable because you may have to ask some tough, tough questions. Is what I'm doing, are the things that I'm doing, maybe all, are all things beneficial in my life? And maybe I need to start making some changes, cutting some things out, okay? Because if I truly want to be faithful to God as well, I'm going to get the negative junk out of my life, amen? amen. And that's, I, sometimes that's, that's hard to do. But through God, all things are possible. And as you search the scriptures, may you find a God who is full of grace and love and desire to be with that God. And I hope and pray that you spend many years together searching and learning and discovering who God is. God, we thank you for all that you have done. Lord, thank you for this beautiful gift that is the scriptures, the Bible, where, Lord, we can go and learn about who you are. And not only that, learn about your plan of salvation and as well how we can live our lives even better. Lord, in all things, we can trust and lean on you. Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, if we're doubting, we pray, Lord, that you will encourage us. And God, above all, may we be united as we move forward for you. So thank you, Lord, for another day of life and another year. May 2020 be an awesome year for Downey Church. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace and peace. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.